everyone, welcome to the Made It in Music podcast. Today, we're talking with Doug Wire about his journey into mix engineering and producing. Doug is based in Chicago, Illinois, and has worked with artists such as 10th Avenue North, Crowder, Newsboys, Skillet, and many more. This was recorded along with our live online audience from our Song Chasers community. You can learn more about Song Chasers at joinsongchasers.com. For now, let's dive into the episode. What's up, Doug? We're live here on the Made It in Music podcast. We've got our live Song Chasers studio audience <laughs> with us. How you doing, my friend? Good, man. How are you? Good, man. Thanks for being on with us today. Are you uh, so yeah. you're, you're up in Chicago? Yep, up in Chicago. Thunderstorm right now. Mm. So if I lose okay. power, that's why. <laughs> hey, well, fingers, oh fingers crossed. Yep. Um, well, why don't you just take us all the way back um, for, for, for those who don't know you and know what you do. I mean, you're a very accomplished mix engineer, producer, musician, uh, songwriter and of your own right. But your, your main focus nowadays is in mixing. And a lot of people in the songwriting world or in the music making world maybe don't even realize that like how important a mix engineer is to the process. And every single record that comes out on, you know, top charts on radio is probably mixed by a mixing engineer it's you know it might just be a new piece of information for people but it's not always the producer who's doing it or it's not just the engineer who's right. doing it. it's usually a third party and that's where you come in and uh so i want to hear um before we get to some of your your accolades and where you're at now i, I want to hear your backstory a little bit and how did you get into music and um what sort of led you onto this path into mixing yeah, I mean, I would say I had a really meager beginning as far as music goes. I um, coming out of high school, I joined bands, and you know, uh, people, you know, things happen. People aren't committed, so it's like jumping from band to band. And I finally kind of got settled in this um, Christian pop rock band. They're kind of small, so we toured for seven years basically. And during that time. I, I made it my like life's goal on the bus to find out how can I make these crappy demos sound like hits. So that was kind of the driving force behind why I got into mixing specifically. But um, I started off doing production. So like I said, just, just hearing demos that were like, man, this just does not get me excited. I know this song is good, but the demo just, it sounds like a cloudy 80s, song it's just horrible so i made it uh a point to figure out how can i find the best sounds put them together in the right way and um obviously i sucked at first like i even go back maybe i don't know 2016 some of my productions and it's just they're atrocious to me <laughs> so um definitely humble beginnings um i would say the big transition point was I left the band in 2017 uh, to kind of do my own thing. And I had enough projects where I was like, okay, I at least have maybe six to eight months of runway. So that's enough for me to, you know, hit the ground running and try to make this thing happen. So uh, from there I did production and I, you know, all, all the way I was sharpening my skills. Um, and I think doing production for so long is what, uh, kind of gave me my most important mixed skills, knowing what's possible with a sound. Like, how far can you take this? Like, I don't know, like a kick drum or a snare drum. 
how far can I take this? And how, like, what's the point where I need to just replace the sound, layer the sound, you know, all that stuff. So um, it all kind of led up to this point where I wanted to really, like, get into bigger Christian stuff. So um, I set up a few meetings with A&R guys that I knew through the band. And um, there was this one point where an A&R guy texted me and he's like, hey, we got this song. It's like an emergency. We need it mixed now. Can you do it on spec? Um, which means you don't get paid unless they like it. So I was like, absolutely I will, because it was a pretty big artist, the, the biggest artist I'd ever worked with, which was a long shot back then because I wasn't really working with any uh, label artist. But um, so I, I got the session. It was a really like, Two, 200 tracks it was huge so it was a lot to manage it took me two days but I gave it literally everything I had I tried so hard making this thing just sound like a hit and um you know even at that point um it's still a very like political thing because it's like oh what what has Doug done I don't know nothing so uh even if they love the mix how much stock would they put in this new mixer's opinion on how the song should sound? Um, but everyone loved it. They went with it and it ended up going number one a few months later. And that's kind of the, the crash course of how I pushed my way into mixing um, and, you know, the Christian music scene. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. And are you allowed to say who that artist was or what that song yeah, was? Yeah, it's, it's Mercy Me. And <laughs> it's that song. Uh, Almost <laughs> Home by Mercy Me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, a lot, yep. sure we got a lot of a lot of Mercy Me fans in the group and, and oh, great yeah. job. On They're fantastic. That, yeah, great job on making that song sound like a hit. Um, Thank you. At, at its core, you know, when we strip away production, a song at its core really just is lyrics, melodies, and chords. That's that's really all it is. Yep. And production is the way that you present those lyrics, melodies, and chords. Yep. And if there's one thing I want to drive home to our people who are listening right now um, in our Song Chasers group, uh, that is just as important as the lyrics, melody, and chords. Um, even if it's just a piano vocal, it still has to be done well. Otherwise, people are not even going to give it the time of day in terms of like, a, 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 you know, a, a music industry person listening to a demo that somebody's sending. Like, it has yeah. to sound at a certain level. Otherwise, they're just not even going to hear. It doesn't matter how good your lyric is. Like, they're just if, if the vocal isn't isn't it's swimming in reverb or if it's not performed right or if it's not tuned right or edited right or if the piano's off time or just sounds cheesy that it's it, it's going to make the song sound cheesy so this is where you're so valuable in the process of helping ultimately sell a song um right can you speak yeah, to I, like sorry go ahead i have a, i have a cool story about that actually yeah um because i um you know after mixing for a couple years and thinking like I feel like there's songs where they sound great. It's like the the lyric and melody, chord progression, whatever, is so good. I don't think I can mess this up, like no matter what I do. This song's going to be a hit either way. So I, I began to wonder, like, you know what? How valuable is a mix? Because I'm pretty sure this producer's mix could fly. Um, but then there was this one point where I had a friend who was working with 
um, kind of a like a really big country artist. And he was super stoked on this song. Um, they were going to cut it and put it on his record. Um, and the, the producer calls me in a panic and he's like, they're cutting the record from the song. And he was like super upset. And he said, I'm such a believer in the song. Can you just, can you drop what you're doing right now and mix it and like save this song? And so I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what are the odds that what I do in four hours is going to save the song? But I went through it. I heard the rough and I was like, yeah, I can see why. Um, it, to the artist, it sounded unfinished, basically. It just, the parts weren't speaking through. Um, you know, th there's just, it is really, like, the mix is just really important, uh, I learned. So um, I mixed the song. I made it feel good, like, good in my opinion. Like, just, you know, like a, uh, an awesome hip-hop country bop. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, uh, we sent it to the artist. He loved it. First mix. Um, literally saved the song from getting cut from the record. And at that point, I was like, you know what? Okay, mix. Mix is important. Mix is super important. Uh, yeah. So that kind of, like, got me back on track. Like, obviously, when I get a song from a producer, I'm trying to bring Because, I mean... My my mix fee isn't nothing. It's it, and it's not cheap. So I'm trying to bring everything I have to a song, and um, sometimes it needs way more than others. But in every case, I'm trying to to squeeze every drop of emotion out of it. Um, but you know, you get that thought that like, how important is this? Because the emotion comes through in their rough mix, but um. When you put them side by side, it's like, oh my gosh, this song just completely came to life. Um, even when it's a small difference, like um, uh, I just mixed a song um, for you a couple days ago or a week ago or something. Um, and I feel like that was one of the smaller margin. Uh, like it maybe went from 94% to 100% because I thought your rough mix was insane. So, um, but even that, I think, really brings the song to life in a way that can actually speak to more people, hit more, uh, I don't know, just pull on your heartstrings more and making it more emotional, impactful experience for the listener. Yeah. Well, it's it's something like magic to me because just how competitive of a business it is. And this is, this is the only thing I've ever known in terms of like trying to compete to get those cuts on the record. Like you're saying, like it is so hard to get those cuts in the first place. So we're pulling out every trick in the bag to try to get it. to. It's got to sound right. It's got to have the right people on it. It's got the right voice on it. It's got to be edited yep. to the hill. It's got to just, it's got to hit hard. And so I'm used to having to make rough mixes that sound like masters. Yep. And so that's where guys like you are kind of like magicians. Cause I'm like, man, I already think this sounds really good, but then I listen back to what you did versus mine. And I'm like, Holy crap. That's, that's why, yeah. you, that's why you get paid. the big bucks. <laughs> That's right. I, I remember, I remember going through and like, I was like, man, this is actually really hard to, there was, when I listened to it, it sounded so good, but there were like tiny things where it's like, I hear a mixed bus working yes. and I don't yeah. want to hear it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I had to, I had to do some like 
I, I work in my basement and um, uh, one mastering guy that I always work with, he's, he makes fun of me and says, oh, Doug's getting weird in the basement again. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have to get weird in the basement. I, I, um, I have some, some gear and I had to, I had to send it out and do some summing to, to like really make it slam and like push through that you know yeah well man whatever you did whatever you did on it it's amazing it's it's for, for people you. for people to uh be away we're working on a new newsboys record so that's that's what doug's doug mm -hmm. mix actually funny funny yeah. enough it features bart from mercy me so we're all tying so we're tying it all together <laughs> yeah. in full circle yeah, yeah christian music is a pretty tight-knit small group of people it's very small it's very small and and there just aren't very many you know i, I think there's probably people listening to this on on song chasers but but even beyond in the podcast um who are who are considering like a career in music and like didn't even know maybe a mix engineer was an option like how of all of all of the things you could do whether it was songwriting or production or being a manager or getting into mixing like what what was it that drew you to this and how did you know that you could make a living at it how'd you how'd you turn it into a career oh my gosh uh i still i still question that how can I make a living out of it? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, well, um, I what happened to me was there started to become a demand where I was needed most, and what was needed most for certain people was mixing. Um, there's a ton of producers who can do great stuff, and it seems like um, I don't know for every for every thirty incredible producers out there there's one mixer so um there was just a big demand for it and i think um my skill set of finishing a song like that that's that's what i want at the end of the day i i almost like i'm not good at the creative side of production which is why i kind of gravitated towards um making it sound good that's what i want to do to a record i want to finish it and make it you know call it done yeah that's that's uh, well and, it, and it's so so important i i just can't overstate the importance of what what you do and guys like you do in the process mm -hmm. um riley's being kind of quiet over here i don't want to just be the only one asking questions the whole time <laughs> i see your wheel spinning you're just, too you're so. just, you take the lead and you go for it well, well, <laughs> I, can, I can mention another thing um for those of you who do like who think that mixing could be your calling um it's a it's one of the most fun things in my opinion because you get to like you basically um to an extent you get to decide how the song sounds you get to finish the like complete aesthetic of the song which i think is it's so rewarding um and uh one thing like for you aspiring mixers i would say forget about the tools um this is just something that i feel strongly about because i you know i still want to learn every day i watch a bunch of youtube videos and i see how many just complete terrible advice videos are out there um i would say forget about the tools and just listen to the sounds that you're working on and try to make whatever by whatever means necessary make them sound like what you want them to sound like so if you got a boost like uh i don't know like 3k 10 db which like that sounds so painful i i literally just did that on like a 
a snare drum because it was so scoop sounding. Um, just doing what, even producers, doing whatever it takes to get that sound you're after. Forget about being careful or um, what you think you're supposed to do. Most of the time, I would say 80% of the time, I'm breaking rules that I've seen on YouTube tutorials or whatever. So, man, that's so, that is such good wisdom. And, you know, at the same time, you, you kind of, we, we always talk about it as like, you got to learn the rules first before you can know how to break them like an sure. artist. And you've obviously put the reps in to know what the what the guardrails are and what's what's safe, what's okay, what's acceptable, what's commercially um, relevant, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe talk about that a little bit. How do you how do you ensure that what you're doing is commercially relevant? Are you listening to tons of other music? Do you reference yeah. a lot? What's your process? Okay, I I have what I call a um, a north star reference mix, and it doesn't. It's not really that I'm trying to make. I'm not trying to make my songs sound like this reference mix, but it's my like holy grail example of um, how bright I can make, or how bright a record should be, um, slash on the verge of like hurting your ears. Cause that's always the thing. There's, you're fighting clarity um, versus harshness. Um, that's just one of, one of the many things. Um, and, this song it's like so bright it's so um it's hard to just it's hard to describe for like uh someone who's not like a technical minded person but it's like there's such a consistency to the top end and um certain elements that make it able to be so bright and like clear without like shredding your ears apart and then um yeah i would say Referencing is the most important thing you can do because um, if you're mixing in a vacuum, just like, oh, what sounds good to me here in this moment, you're going to get off every time. And I think realizing the importance of uh, your flawed nature, like you hear stuff different every day. It just happens, especially if you're working on music a lot, you actually will to explain um when I put this reference on, sometimes it sounds so good to me. Uh, my uh, North Star reference that I'm talking about. Sometimes it sounds so good to me. And then other times it sounds so shrill and bright and I hate it. And it's like that. So the song's not changing. It's my perception of the song that's changing and having something that you can always look to for these benchmarks is um, I couldn't do mixing without it so i would say referencing is the number one thing to get a grasp on um and i think that comes a little bit with humility because i'm realizing that i can't get to a lot of times i need my north star to keep me on track or else i'll end up with something that could be completely unusable and sound terrible so yeah that's something that's really important to me so the North Star song is obviously Rocket Man by Elton John. Is that, am I right? <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, it should be All Star by Smash Mouth, but it's not. Um, <laughs> I People think I'm joking, but that, just side note, uh, Astro Lounge by Smash Mouth is like, I think one of the greatest records of all time. <laughs> okay. I got it when I was 10. 
That's why. It holds up. Um, that still sounds good. That's a good. It's, it's, yeah, I, I love Eric Valentine. Eric Valentine yeah. is so good. And um, I mean, not for lyrical content on that record because it's just kind of silly. But yeah, um, yeah. as far as like sounds and production, mix sounds incredible. Um, the song is actually uh, Rude by Magic. Mm. So it's a song that came out in 2014. So every day I'm like, man, I gotta, gotta get a new song. But still, every I've song referenced I play, that. I've referenced that so many times too. It's funny. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Well, I think the reason why is pop music sounding the way it sounds. Um, there's not a lot of live instrumentation, right. and I think this song, Magic, or Rude, by Magic, is it's got like a live band instrumentation so and it's the best version of what a band can sound like in my opinion um and it's yeah. mixed by manny, manny Marroquin, and he he's just he's one of the best one of two of the best like he's he's so good and if you ref something that he's done you probably can't really go wrong yeah for sure yeah, and I can't em- overemphasize that enough too. And, and, and the the same thing Doug's talking about applies to songwriting as well. You know, what's your what are your north star references in terms of uh, having a song like is my melody as good as X Y Z? Like is do is my lyric hitting the way this lyric hits? Like it's a little different because you can't exactly you you're not you're not really able to copy those types of things, right. but listening it's amazing the exercise just of listening to your thing and then flipping over and listening to their thing it's so revealing of like man my i need to go back to the drawing board with my melodies or my lyrics or my my chord progressions are just lame or what whatever it is you know yeah and and that's actually a good that's a good point because it sounds like you're revising you're you're reflecting on your own work and deciding that's not good enough and that's also something i do and I think that's the one thing that sets me apart from some other guys is I, when I feel pretty good about a song, I'm not happy. I kind of beat myself up about it. And um, one of the ways that I do that, this is just a little fun trick um, that I found out is I have this, um, I, I can even give this out to people if they want it, but it's, it's uh, if you have the plugin Pro-Q by FabFilter, the EQ, I have a little NS10 filter, so it's it's made to emulate what an NS10 sounds like. Um, and what that does is it kind of it takes away the the fun of the mix, like the top and the bottom, and it makes you like think, ah, oh, this actually is kind of muddy because when I put rude through that my North Star reference, when I put that through, it 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 doesn't sound that different than with it off. But if I throw that on my mix, like I just did Friday, um, it was like, oh gosh, this changed so much and it sucks now. So um, being willing to go through the extra energy to revise your work when you realize that it's not up to par is a really important thing when you're striving for excellence in music. For sure. Yeah. A lot of people don't probably know what that is, but the old NS10s were, were the Oh yeah. Sorry. No, it's good. That, that, those were the standard studio <laughs> monitors for years for the, all the eighties, the nineties, and they just sound horrible. But yep. the trick was, is that if you could get stuff to sound good on NS tens, it would sound good pretty much anywhere. Mm. And 
so that's so that's really good. And I think the other way you could take that is like if you're mixing on AirPods, you might consider like getting a second listening source or something that's that you can reference things and or listen in your car or listen on, on you know, a, uh, a Beats boombox or something, just listening on multiple sources like that. Like even just going back and forth between speakers and headphones for me is huge. Yep. Like, I don't know, yeah, I don't know you do that at all, but that's uh, probably the biggest part of my practice is starting on. Um, I mean, it's all over here. That's what I'm looking at. Um, uh, starting on five inch speakers, like just some kind of kind of crappy. Um, I think they're like four hundred dollars a pair. They're Yamaha HS fifty M's. They don't make them anymore, but you can get a pair for a around three hundred dollars. Um, starting on those where there's no low end and they're really bright. So you can, you can really like have a magnifying glass on your, your mid range and sculpting that in the right way. Um, and then when I get probably like 80% done with the mix, then I'll go to my mains, which are like a way more detailed version. And then still flipping back and forth between the two is I, I couldn't do mixing without that. For sure. It's very true. Referencing on different stuff. Crucial. Yeah, it's huge. I, I, I've been lately using, if, if I'm working at home, I have a very, it's it's barely a set. You can even call it a setup, but it's it's a pair of those iLoud monitors. I don't know if you've seen those. Oh, I've heard really good things about those. They are amazing. And you can throw them in your backpack. It's crazy how small they are and how good they sound. But yep. they sound, they, I'm sure if you put them up next to like my Focals or whatever in the studio, they'd sound terrible. But, but the, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I think you were going to say the same thing I was going to. There's, is, yeah. there's something to say with how, how a mix translates to the, dumbed, the, the dumbest downed version of speakers. You're making important decisions. That, that's, um, there's a mixer, uh, shoot, what's his name? The, that New York guy who does Coldplay. Um, oh, like uh, like um, Michael Brower or Spike Stan. Yeah, Michael Brower. Yeah. He <laughs> he's known for having like a boombox um, on like a shelf above his head, and he he says he does eighty percent of the mix that way because that's how the consumer is going to hear the song relatively at the end of the day. Getting getting the most important elements right, like the vocal level. Um, you get a completely di different perspective. You don't get lost in the weeds. You're able to see the forest and not the trees. So sure. I think that's why working on those iLouds, everyone should probably do that, actually. Yeah. Yeah, the iLouds are great. Those are just, they're, I think they're just called iLoud IK Multimedia or something. They're not, yep. they're not that expensive. I got them on like Amazon for a writing trip. And I was like, these things are actually awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, the, the next thing I wanted to ask you too, is just in terms of how did you learn? Like, how did you learn the craft of mixing? Cause it's not one of those things. It's just like oh, yeah. with songwriting, you can kind of just listen to great songs and listen to great songwriters. Yep. But with mixing, there's a lot of kind of what's going on underneath the hood. I don't really know. Like what, what were some yeah. of the ways you were able to. Um, the, the biggest way I learned actually is like what you do is I listen to other songs and see what they were doing. But the how, I guess, is the missing part of the puzzle but um I, I just realized this um the other day um pretty much every every breakthrough that i have in mixing is an accident <laughs> so it's basically 
trial and error, doing something wrong that results in, oh my gosh, that's a sound that I've been looking for. Um, I would say the most progress has come from me doing like 500 plus mixes when I first started and making mistakes and learning and um, just that whole thing along the way. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that's not like super helpful for the audience, but um, I would say f finding good finding good YouTube channels, which is so rare, but there's a couple that I could list off if I, um, like if you have show notes or whatever, I could put some guys that I think are really great to teach you the fundamentals. Um, but I would say, yeah, just YouTube and asking people. If you, if you see someone's mix a song that you think sounds really good, hit them up on Instagram. A lot of people are secretive and they don't, you know, are jerks and don't want you to know, but a lot of, probably even more people are very willing to show you or explain to you what I did on this record to make it sound like that, which I'm, I'm of the thought that no one has my ears, so no one can like truly copy what I'm doing. I mean, it sounds kind of cocky, but it, it's just the way things are. Like, if I want to make my mixes sound like Manny's or Serban's, I probably just can't. Not because I don't have the tools or know the tools, it's because I don't have their ears. So even if I did have Serban's secret mix bus, which for those of you who don't know, it's a mix bus is just what all the sounds go through at the end and what they hit um, to make it sound as loud or as punchy as possible. That's what I, that's what I mean when I say mix bus. But, um, yeah, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 all in the ears. It's all in the yeah. ears. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, so like a asking people, and um, all that to say that I'm not afraid to pretty much share anything, which is why I'm, I'll share, you know, a session that I did. And um, one thing that I could explain, like for those of you who want to figure it out, I would say, um. If you want to, if you want to add more to a sound, your first instinct would be to EQ, turn up, turn up brightness, like, you know, do a top shelf. I would say <clears throat> the biggest thing about what I'm doing is I'm not doing that. When I want to be additive, I add saturation. And um, for you nerds out there, um, if you have isotope, ozone, there's a plugin in there called Exciter. And basically it's just four four like bands, lows, mids, high mids, and highs, where instead of boosting a frequency, like a nasally sounding frequency, you can boost harmonics that fill in the gaps. And that's, that's kind of what, in my opinion, the top level guys are doing instead of actually EQing. And that's how Manny is getting that rude mix to sound filled in and bright without hurting your ears. Saturation is going to be what makes things bright without like turning things, actually turning them up. For sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I, I probably got way too complicated. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's a great, great pro tip for people who are interested and want to want to go try that on their own mixes and stuff. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's huge for sure. Yeah. Um, do you have any looking back, just zooming out from the, 
the weeds uh, and the technicality of mixing. I always like to think in terms of this is not an original question. It's one of my favorite podcasts is by Tim Ferriss. And he asks this question on it, but I always love to ask it of people in the music business because it's just so insightful over the, over the last five to seven years of you really breaking into this thing. And you're, you know, you're at the top of the game mixing number ones and you're one of the most on call mix guys in Nashville. Now um, that wasn't always the case. Where, right. where, do, you, do you have a favorite failure along the way that you can point to that, that was something that you pivoted from or really <laughs> learned from? Is there, a, is there a favorite failure that sticks out in your mind? Um, my favorite failure would be my least favorite failure. Because, um, <laughs> man, it was painful, but I learned so much. I, I'm trying to think. That's a, that's a really tough one. Because um, there's so many different levels of how like in the in the day-to-day stuff, just being really unsatisfied with a mix and teaching it you to do different stuff next time, kind of like every day is a failure to some extent, which pushes me forward. But I would say, um, okay. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, and if you need to omit names or anything too, that's uh, no, always yeah. I would omit names, but yeah, um, this is a failure with like not a happy ending. It's just a lesson failure. I I think that's all I have because um, if I I feel like in the position I am, a failure would not get me to this spot because you you kind of gotta be on as much as humanly possible. But I would say a, a failure that taught me the most would be um. Uh, and the, guy, the guys who, the guys who know this story will know who I'm talking about. So don't get mad. But um, I was working on probably the biggest artist that I would work on in Christian music. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should say if I should say because it's like going to be obvious. I'll just I'll just leave it out. What I'll say is, um, the way. I think a mix should sound isn't always the way another person thinks the mix should sound. And what sounds so good to me um, or what sounds so bad to me, this person might like it. So at the, at kind of like the highest levels, it becomes less about what should, what does Doug think this song should sound like and more of how can I serve this producer the best? How can I get him his desired sound? And I think um, there, there, there was a really big song that I lost because I didn't completely understand that. And I think that's the most important thing to note is um, when you're kind of in a service industry like I am with mixing, um, it, it becomes more service than like, I guess even producers, you're serving the artist. Um, but you're supposed to achieve their desired results, not your own. So um, you got to be a little bit more of a mind reader and a and an empath than a like brash CLA style mixer. Because you know, if you want the CLA sound, go to CLA. If you want CLA to make your song sound like you want it to sound, probably don't. You know. So there's 
there's definitely different types of people that you'll go to. But I think in, in our industry, um, people, people will come to me for my sound, but other people will come to me because I'm very careful with theirs and I get them where they want to go. So for sure. Yeah, no. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's, that's great. That's, that's a great way to share the story without, you know, naming names or anything because you're, you're entirely yeah. right. It is. And this, this may be news to some people who are newer to our world, but I, I always talk about production and mixing and even me as a co-writer, like it, it is 100% a service industry. And the sooner you learn that, the easier it will get because yep. it ultimately, yeah. I mean, they want, they, they want it to sound better, but most of the time they don't really know what that means. It's just better. Better is better could mean a million different things. Like your definition of better and their definition of better might be completely night and day difference. Yeah. Yeah. you got to realize music is at the end of the day, it's completely subjective and um, being able to realize that and not put yourself so much into your work will save you a lot of, frustration and pain because like all, all you people writing songs you're gonna get like even the, the top level guys like like Seth he's rewriting his songs when they're not good enough or asked to rewrite songs or being asked by like I'm sure he like uh, I don't remember what production draft I got but it wasn't probably number one they asked you to make changes to your production draft yeah, no, Everyone. it was probably 10 or 15, which is usually the case. Yeah. So, like, you got to realize that the top-level guys are even being asked to do something 15 different ways. So, kind of having that thick skin and letting go of the, fa the fact that this is all yours. This is your song. This is how it has to be. Um, being more willing to collaborate and trust other people that you're working with. Yeah, and and it's... And it's also like, hey, just because your first one wasn't the final, don't get your feelings hurt over that. That's just the right. that's just the process. Like that is the right. process. If your version one is the final of anything, like that's an anomaly. That's not the norm. Yeah. So totally. with something like songwriting, with mixing, with production, with any anything like that, it's so it is so subjective. And that's where it can be helpful to have your own artistic outlets. I mean, Doug, I imagine you have some other kinds of artistic outlets. I don't know if you're into like um, break dancing or like basket weaving or something, but you have to yeah, have I'm, a place where you get those, the creative side out. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got a bald spot from my break dancing when I do my head spins. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> um, that's funny. I, I, I should have a hobby. Um, I don't have time. My hobby is my work. And that's that's why my life is so painful. <laughs> well, you're you're in a season. You're in the season. You're in the hot strike while the iron's hot, man. That, that yeah, really is sure. a thing in music. So, yeah. Um, well, hey, I want to open it up to some audience questions for those for those um, who are listening on our Made It Music podcast. Uh, this is live recorded with our Song Chasers group, and we always do a fun little bonus Q and A episode. That'll yes. be the next episode. And so for those of you guys who are on with us, um, now is your chance to ask Doug Wire, black belt mix engineer, <laughs> any questions? 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Made It in Music podcast. In addition to this episode, we also recorded a Q&A session where some of the songwriters in our Song Chasers community were able to ask their own questions. We'll release that episode shortly after this one. Make sure to check out some of the other episodes of the Made It in Music podcast as well. We have well over 100 interviews with some of the top music industry professionals, many here in Nashville and many from all over the world. Subscribe to make sure that you automatically get future episodes and leave us a review if you loved it. It would really help us out. Or send an email to support at fullcirclemusic.com if you have any ideas for how we can improve the show. If you'd like to become a Song Chasers member and attend these training sessions live, head over to joinsongchasers.com to learn more. You also get additional exclusive trainings from me. You get our TrackSuite Pro software. You get song reviews from me and my team. And you get access to a custom social media network we created exclusively for songwriters and musicians. There's nothing else like it on the internet. Go to joinsongchasers.com to learn how to join and check out madeitinmusic.com for more content and episodes from this podcast. See you in the next episode.